0: This episode is brought to you by Verity. Verity just launched their brand new student information system called Verity Student. Verity Student is everything you wish you had in your student information system and then some. Verity Student combines top-notch unparalleled compliance and efficiency boosting processes with the best communication features built into one single platform. Verity Student streamlines academic tracking, document management with an electronic signature, and a built-in powerful contact center with multi-channel communication. The unfortunate complications that human errors prevent are virtually eliminated with their improved process workflow automation that paves the way for data and reporting that you can actually count on. It's the most efficient recruiting, enrollment, and retention process that you have ever seen. Get more than you have with less strain on your budget with Verity Student. Experience the cost efficiencies that their all-inclusive tool provides compared to other, more expensive tools with less functionality. The unified pricing includes a multi-channel communication hub at a fraction of the amount that you'd pay for multiple systems. Say goodbye to inefficiency. Say goodbye to disjointed communications. Say goodbye to Excel when you say hello to Verity Student. At Verity, they only know one direction and one speed. Always forward and always fast. Harness the power of one with Verity Student. Request a behind-the-scenes look at their new student information system, Verity Student, at meetverity.com. Again, that's meetverity.com. everybody and welcome to the Enrollify podcast zach here and today i am joined by none other than jason simon from simpson scarborough welcome to the show jason
1: Hey, i am excited to join you
0: so jason i uh, i like to kick these episodes off with not a random question but a little bit of a random question um and to your you know luck of the draw random question is what's something you've recently changed your mind about professionally speaking, personally speaking or otherwise?
1: Oh my goodness. I mean, that's a tough question. Um, I changed my mind a lot. I'm i I'm a Libra. Hmm. Um, so, uh, I also feel like one of the things that I've learned about myself is that a, a strength is kind of synthesizing information and, um, and making a choice or, or a decision. But the process to actually get to that decision is a, is a tough one. My wife always says that my daughter and I, my, my daughter's also a Libra. She says that we're like insufferable about choosing restaurants or making dinner plans. So. So really really a tough one. Uh, It's
0: really a tough one. Yeah, no,
1: it really is. First of all, I have to, I have to choose something that, uh, that I've changed my mind about. Um, Probably in true pandemic spirit, I would say that I have definitely changed my mind about how appropriate it is to wear sweatpants in public. <laughs> um, and now I kind of have evolved to the place where um, I'm wondering how appropriate it is to wear them to in-person meetings. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm reverting back to being a, uh, we have a friend who has a, a ten-year. I remember when there, he he was a ten-year-old son, and um, he wouldn't wear pants that had buttons. And I feel like maybe I'm falling back into that place. But you know, I, I I guess professionally, so that's personally is my affection towards sweatpants. Professionally, I um am have been thinking a lot about how critical it is for us to be in person and traveling to clients as much as we have historically done. Hmm. Um, you know, it's really interesting right now with, with, uh, you know, the, the the persistence of the, the vaccine and, um, how people are starting to kind of get back to the way things used to be. And I would say that our agency has been really, really productive in the last year. And one of the things that, that we've learned is, you know, our team can really come together remotely and, um, it's not. A, a a particular surprise to me um, because we've always been fairly spread out across the country, but I think the interesting thing, and I'm, the thing that I'm I'm probably changing my mind about, is how effective we could be in working with our clients from afar. Mm. And um, you know, we used to spend so much time and so much expense um, traveling, not just to pitches and you know meetings about the possibility of doing work, but but then actually just kicking off work. And I think some of that is still important, but I think that we need to think about it in in a new way. So I definitely am, am thinking about, um, uh, i definitely have changed my, my opinion on, on how much traveling we'll be doing in the future. Once things get back.
0: Those are great ones. Yeah. I think that so many people are wrestling with, with these questions right now. And yeah, I'm very interested. Like part of me is waiting for the big marketing campaign from some firm saying, you know, we are going back to traveling and we are going to be, we're going to travel even more than we did pre-pandemic or something just to sort of like shake things up. Because I do feel like the the common sentiment is like, oh, you know, do we really need to be spending this much time and money on the road? Do we not? Um, I'm sort of waiting for the firm that like comes out guns blazing saying like, we are going to be that firm and um, and whatnot. I, I'm going to be entertained by that by that campaign when it surfaces. I'm sure it will soon, um, uh, even though I don't agree with with uh, with you know that assessment. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, those are those are good. Um, I'm curious. Talk to us a little bit about. Simpson Scarborough, for those who just aren't familiar with you guys, or maybe they've heard of your name, they've seen you guys at like a conference, but you know, never stumbled upon your booth, never had a conversation with you or Elizabeth or any of your, your other team members, uh, how, what, What's sort of the elevator pitch for Simpson Scarborough and what exactly is it that you do there?
1: Yeah. I mean, like we were talking about before we uh, started recording, I, I think I have the good fortune that most of those interactions, people know Simpson Scarborough. So that's kind of the first thing that, that I would say, but to to um, to somebody that I'm meeting for the first time, I think my orientation is always, it's more interesting to hear from, from them. I want to know what the problem is they're trying to solve for their institution. And um, if it's not connected to some kind of measurable outcome or there's not a, a desire to kind of figure out how to make that happen, then honestly, Simpson Scarborough is probably not the best firm for them. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's kind of one of those places that I would start. But you know, if people, if people want to know about us, or or I was asked, you know, that that follow-up question, I would say that we're an insights-driven branding and integrated marketing firm. Mm-hmm. Um, we really help brands, we help build brands that inspire, endure, and elevate the work of. Uh, colleges and universities, and making our our world and our lives better. Um, I think there's plenty of firms that are out there that do excellent work and that do pieces of that. But I really believe that we kind of have a special sauce in in helping making sure that those kinds of strategies endure and that they stick, and that they're measurable and quantifiable, and you know they really really have an impact at it at an institution. That's that's the thing that really makes Simpson Scarborough different. And, um, you know, in terms of my role, I have the the great fortune of, of leading our, our team, um, and, and sort of setting a vision for, uh, how the various services we offer at the agency, um, continue to kind of one work together and to grow, grow and expand. We started as a, a market research firm. And so, the notion of, uh, problem solving is really, really baked into who we are. Mm. And, um, we've been fortunate that, you know, we, we, we have added things like creative and digital and storytelling and analytics and optimization and media planning and things like that to do more of a full, full sort of, uh, integrated marketing approach over time, because we, we build great trust with our clients. Um, and, uh, So I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough that I get to think about how those things kind of come together.
0: Love that. Very, very well said. Um, And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show uh, beyond just sort of admiring you all from a distance for some time and following you all on social and and whatnot is really to get your thoughts on performance-driven branding and marketing. It's something that I know that you guys have been talking a lot about and something that you personally care a lot about. It's also sort of like a buzzword, right? Folks have been talking about performance-driven marketing in particular for for a while now. I still don't know that it's something that people in higher ed necessarily really understand. So I'm hoping you could just sort of like break down some of the jargon for us here. What exactly is performance-driven branding and marketing? And why do you think it's so important that institutions in particular take this approach when they're thinking about launching new initiatives or in, you know, uh, an admissions uh, campaign, whether they're you know, launching something for, for advancement? Why is performance-driven marketing and branding especially important today?
1: Yeah, I think, um, like you said, performance-driven marketing has been around for a while. Um, you know, it's been called all kinds of different things, uh, you know, beginning with kind of direct response. And in some cases just back in the day, going back to something like direct mail that obviously then has transitioned into more of how we're thinking about digital marketing, um, these days, um, performance driven branding, um, is, is kind of a belief that, that brands are more than just creative expressions. Mm. You know, I, I, I kind of have gotten... Worn out, and I I also think it's it's kind of a little um, uh, passé at this point. We we should we have evolved in in branding in higher ed beyond saying that our brand is more than our logo, and Mm -hmm. and I hope that you know we can all accept that we've moved past that point. I know that there's some schools that are that that haven't, and that's still a day to day challenge. But I think that for the most part, you know, people at in in higher ed now understand what brands are and. It's more than logos or guidelines or messaging frameworks or creative, you know, expression. But brands are true assets that can be valued and measured and built. Um, and you know, I, I think that we're finally reaching a, a level of maturity in marketing and branding in higher education that that we can we can actually see and measure what a higher ed brand means. And um, there can be some real alignment to messaging and reputational factors, and institutional goals and objectives, and and that's kind of what we mean when we say performance-driven brands. Um, you know, it's the ability. It's the ability, as I think Terry Flannery really pointed out in in her her marketing uh, for higher ed book, that it's a true asset to be curated and 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 cultivated. Hmm. Do you
0: think? Where do you think schools are at right, with the adoption of this of this mindset? obviously, this you know, varies I'm sure dramatically depending on size of school, depending on the prestige of the institution, et cetera. But do you think that this is this is becoming more of an accepted? idea at like the highest of levels of institutional leadership or do you think we're still sort of like in the early stages of folks understanding how do you quantify brand right what is it what does yeah. it actually mean to have like brand equity
1: I think we're I think we're kind of in the middle okay um to be honest I, I think we're not at the beginning um I think that you know boards and leadership. um and uh, and and senior marketing professionals—they get it. They understand that. I think they're trying to build that level of understanding among, you know, uh, 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 regardless of the size of the institution, a decentralized set of of you know marketing stakeholders. Um, but I think that people understand that the brand for their institution is an asset that that needs to be managed. Um, and now it's about. Now it's really about kind of aligning uh, the work that we're doing behind that principle. And, and I think that that's a really important thing that, that we have really begun to talk about. And, and in our view, there kind of are like you know, three or four main main points that need to be considered if you are going to really get to a place of being a performance-driven brand. And, and one of those is that like simple alignment. Simple, I say that, but this is probably the hardest thing you know, an alignment to institutional goals and strategy. Um, You know, strategic uh, plans have not been particularly pointed. Yeah. Uh, We're starting to see that beginning to change. And, um, you know, marketing ought to be right at the table in helping making some of those decisions. I think a second piece around these performance-driven brands is just there has to be that kind of organizational orientation and capability within the marketing communications unit. Centralized or not, um, and and I think that you know marketing shops are becoming more strategic in the nature of of what they need to do and 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 how they're who they have on their teams. And Then the last couple of parts are are somewhat related. You know, I think that um, just digital has become so imperative and. Uh, we have to take a really human centered approach to to digital strategy. I don't think that there's a difference anymore between an uh, in person experience and an online experience. Yeah. I think that those are the same. And you know, the last point just around performance driven brands is we have to let the data. You know, we have to use the data that we have. And institutions have so much data. Um, it's just a matter of feeling finding out how we can make it actionable. You know, and so. I mean, I think that we are on this continuum. I think some schools are doing pieces of those three or four things well. Some know the big gaps that they need to fill in. Some are at the very beginning of that. And, and honestly, the exciting thing for us has been now we're starting to work with clients who they're, they're admittedly, it's the, it, they have really, really strong programs that they've taken more than a decade to put together. Yeah. But they're feeling like, wow, we're really, really behind in what we could be doing. How can we make this better? And, and those are, those are the exciting kind of clients to really, really be working with right now, um, to, to think about how they put those pieces of the, of that performance driven brand mindset into, into practice.
0: You brought up data, which I think is, is, you know, obviously very imperative when you're thinking about performance driven anything. And as you mentioned, institutions have tons and tons and tons of data and, more times than not, this data is is siloed, right? Like, depending on integrations that may or may not exist between systems, you you have enrollment that might have, the admissions team that might have a CRM, you've got a different SIS, you've got other software and and technology that might be used for uh, the advancement office and, and alumni development and engagement, et cetera. When you sort of think about yeah, and, and brand, right? The institution's brand acts as like an umbrella to all of those things, right? Like it, it is a part of all of those things, but it is but it is also over all of those things. And so, when it comes to thinking about performance driven branding, do you is there any sort of like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs for higher ed marketers when it comes to sort of analyzing their data and and making it work for them to help them make sense of sort of like how is our brand performing like how, how how do we go about actually measuring the impact brand has had in in each of these areas or i guess another way of thinking about this question is what are some some ways um that folks could go about sort of assessing right how is my brand doing at performing in um in, in helping sort of like enrollment achieve their goals or advancement achieve their goals or student affairs right. achieve their goals or i guess how do you think about sort of uh, the unbundling of of uh, performance driven branding down to each individual entity within a college or
1: university yeah I think i mean it's it's um it's a great it's a great question. I think that um, we've tended to talk about data um, more in the category of marketing performance than I think brand equity mm-hmm. and there's a really clear i think distinction between the two of those. I think that schools have gotten really good at Um, essentially being able to talk about things like uh, the reach and frequency or their, you know, social followers and growth or even engagement numbers. We certainly have a wealth of performance related to marketing around, you know, any kind of digital marketing that we're doing or even, even offline marketing activity that we're doing ought to be measurable at this point. But I think the I think the brand piece of it, we've sort of set to the side and people are like, I'm not really sure how we're going to measure this beyond, you know, the notion of like what we would do for for many clients, which is, you know, every two or three years, let's go back and do a replication of some traditional market research and and think about how you've moved on some specific things. Um, That is changing. And I think it's changing because uh, the orientation has changed. And I, I think that I think that schools uh, are doing a much better job thinking about what are the pieces of brand equity, and and whenever I think about that, I always go back to David Ocker from from Profit, you know, who's written so many great kind of positioning and and um, and, and brand uh, strategy books, and. And Acker really kind of talks about three categories of brand metrics that I think are important Hmm. and important to be measuring in terms of like data. And the, the first category of those is around brand loyalty. So, you know, how loyal are our customers? What do they think about the brand? How are we responding to competitive threats? You know, what's, how are we over time? And this is a big thing. How are we reducing our marketing costs because our Brand is so strong that we don't need to invest that much from a marketing standpoint. Um, uh, Another category is just brand awareness. And and when we think about awareness, people immediately sort of go with like aided and unaided awareness, but that's just the top of the funnel, you know? And, and what I really, I I think are are trying to get our clients thinking about is what are the things that are um, uh, how, how familiar are they? What's the depth of that awareness? How much are they um, uh, anchored to certain associations? Um, what's the level of kind of substance and commitment um, and just visibility that helps us get into a consideration set? So there's a different there's a different depth around awareness that we can get to. And then the last one, and this is a really, I think, important one for higher ed in particular, is what's associated with the brand. Mm-hmm. Right. What is what are the perceived um Associations, attributes. How is our messaging actually sticking? And um, you know, how how is all the storytelling that we're doing actually building a sense of reputation? And how is that helping us differentiate and position ourselves? And um, you know, schools haven't done a really good job of thinking about how their content is actually performing beyond just again the reach, right? And now we're starting to get to a place where there's a lot of different kinds of tools and techniques that are going to allow institutions to to do that in a more regular kind of way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's uh there there's a lot there. A lot of gold there as I like to say. Um I'm curious. So, when you think about this framework and you think about sort of like how schools go about building brand equity, you sort of think about the the future of of uh branding and marketing performance. Um, and really sort of, you know, taking a performance-driven approach to to marketing and branding. Like, how do you think this affects how institutions structure teams? Like, do you think this has any sort of bearing on sort of how Marcom teams should look? Like, is it – do the teams that currently exist at most institutions – you've got, you know, Marcom, you've got admissions, you've got advancement, you've got several other teams – all sort of at the table um making institutional level decisions but a little bit more practically speaking is there any sort of shaking up that needs to happen around like how schools think about putting different players together in order to one help understand a little bit more the current state of of you know the current brand equity that an institution has and then two if you want to move the needle on that if you want to increase brand equity if you want to increase your reputation if you want to you know increase um various attributes that people associate with your brand how structurally should things be set up in order to move the needle on this
1: yeah <laughs> organizational structure for marketing communications within higher ed has been such a moving target over the last 20 years and um you know i think at the at the highest level, um, brand is an asset that should be managed centrally Mm. and thought of at the institutional level. And it begins with having a strategic leader who's oriented in that way and uh, who can really work in a, in a matrixed and influenced fashion across the institution at the highest levels and at the, at the day-to-day producer levels. So, you know, for the most part, I would say that means that it should be a cabinet level position that reports to the president or the chancellor. Mm. Um, I think that we do institutions a disservice when it's oriented within uh, admissions or advancement. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't exceptions to that rule. Because I think that at a small institution that's highly enrollment driven, having enrollment and marketing thought of in a unified way is probably a really, really good and smart decision. But the leader should be focused at the brand and the strategic level and not necessarily at the enrollment level. Or if they have an enrollment orientation, they better have an equally strong brand orientation and marketing orientation. Those things are not separate from each other. Um, so I, I think, you know, beyond, the, beyond the, the sort of leadership position, we just are seeing um, that the function has become so much more strategic and uh, so much more complex. And so thinking about things like digital acumen, thinking about things like, you know, measurement, technology, infrastructure, autom- automation, automation. All of those things are so critical or we're just, you know, we, you're going to miss opportunities. You're going to find yourself in that constant place around producing and promotion. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So a lot of the folks that are tuning into today's conversation work in either admissions or, or marketing communications in higher ed. And most of our folks are sort of at the the director level, um, VP levels in some contexts. Um, and one of the challenges that especially the admissions folks face a lot of the time is brand, you know, university. Um, the university brand is this very protected asset and it's great and it's beautiful. And there are these, you know, uh, taglines and, you know, beautiful sort of brand positioning statements that help put into context the unique value proposition of, of our institution. But a lot of the time, especially for admissions purposes, when you think about student recruitment, especially at the graduate level, if you're you're recruiting for like a specific grad program, sometimes it seems like, you know, the brand is is too broad, right? Because it kind of needs yep. to be because it's representing an entire institution. And so I think some of the friction that exists in really in, for, for admissions folks, even folks that are working in marketing communications and helping out just like a subset of programs or a subset of, of, of majors, whatever it might be, is how do you make brand assets or how do you how do you uh, how do you create an environment in which your brand is actually like accessible so that you know every admissions officer that a prospective student is talking to or every marketing communications professional that's working on a brochure for a you know uh, uh, a student recruitment event or whatever it might be how do you how do you enable them how do you give them sort of like the access to the resources that they need to be true brand ambassadors right of the institution as opposed to everyone sort of like designing their own brochures in you know in Canva or some other software because they don't have the tools uh, at their fingertips that they need to to build that branded slide deck or you know how how do you sort of like culturally speaking regardless of who a prospective student is talking to at an institution, how do you sort of get the same cultural feeling? Like if I'm talking to, you know, director of admissions or a, you know, graduate program coordinator, how do I get the same feeling that, um, that, that the brand embodies in the same way that like, regardless of what Chick-fil-A you walk into around the country, you're going to get a similar sort of like branded experience, right? Like, and, and it's memorable. So how do schools, this is a big question and and I'm rambling here, but how do schools go about, I guess, like practically at the the highest of levels, equipping folks on the front lines with the tools and the resources that they need to effectively represent the kind of brand that the leadership has determined is what the institution wants to exhibit.
1: Yeah, it's a, I mean, um, one of the things that we always hear as a criticism of the industry and then as a criticism at the client level, as we're, as we're doing work is this sounds like every other school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And so one of the challenges in that is that first of all, there's the expectation on the audience side, parents and prospects need to have a certain set of information when they're considering different schools Right or when they're comparing school A versus school B, and because of that, we tend to fall into the places where we we know that there are um, there is a there is a, a need, and so one of the things that you know I I always like to talk about as an example of that is we worked with a midsize um, uh, institution in the Midwest. And I would say that when we began working with them, we were like, "What sets this institution apart?" And what yeah. we heard back was uh, small class sizes, a beautiful campus, and uh, we're in we're in a, a major metro. <laughs> and I was like, "All right, so that really only eliminates, you know, five percent of your competition yeah. who's not in a major metro." <laughs> And then, when you looked at their at their enrollment materials, all of those things, which which truly are important and are things that students and parents will want to have in their consideration set, were the only things that were really being emphasized. Hmm. You know, so then it's almost like a a self uh, uh, fulfilling prophecy where it's sort of like, what sets this school apart? Okay, well then that's you know if we're going to say these things, and that's the only things that we're going to communicate then we're only going to get so far. And so, you know, at that point, we really, really helped position this institution around some really positive and successful career outcomes and the notion of really being able to propel people into, into, to some exciting careers and, and ultimately successful lives. You know, the challenge in higher ed is that for the most part, the product that's being offered, it's very, very similar. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know the notion of positioning then kind of comes in direct contrast with that, which is what what can we leave off the table? And the reality then is, regardless of the size of the institution, many of these institutions are in all kinds of different businesses, complexities of who they serve and and um, who they communicate with, and so it goes in direct contrast with the notion of like you know really really focusing around positioning. And so we have to be more diligent in building these strategies that feel more pointed. So, for example, I would say that, you know, to to your your specific question, like at a strategic level, we really have to have that North Star around our position of we are known for this now and we want to be known for that in the future. Mm. And so in order to do that, this is a primary thing that we are going to emphasize And these other things, while important, they're essentially what we call them as foundational elements. They're they're points of parity right? that are important to the institution, but not necessarily differentiating. So we're not going to emphasize those things. We're just going to include them. And depending on who the audience is that you're talking to and the outcome that you're trying to get. So again, the difference between brand strategy and marketing strategy. We're going to emphasize those things in different ways, or may communicate about them in different ways. We're not going to talk to, to donors in the same way that we're going to talk to a prospective student, sure. right? But there's overlap around certain types of things, and and and, and it's not it's not easy. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think that it's it's actually one of the things that I love about working within higher ed. I think very few people outside of higher ed understand the complexity of the brand challenge for these institutions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, in, it's interesting that you bring that up. I was having a, a conversation with um, Bill Faust from Ology a couple weeks ago and we recorded a podcast. I think it might've been the last episode here. And one of the questions I I had asked him was, do you think when it comes to, is one of the, is one of the friction points in higher ed branding, the fact that colleges and universities are like, Inherently positioned, well, they most of them inherently position themselves as as institutions that are welcoming to all, right? Like, and we are trying to sort of be. You might be a liberal arts college, you know, a liberal arts college, and an you know R one uh, institution are different, right? But in terms of like the kinds of students that they're targeting, the kinds of programs that they offer, there there is a ton of overlap, right? And so, you know, one of the things that I think is really hard about branding in higher education is that. How, when it gets, when you get down to differentiation, how do you sort of effectively differentiate without being exclusive, right? And like, where do you draw the line? So I guess I'm curious from your perspective, like, do you think the future of of higher ed, do you think we will see a lot more positioning that is clearly a little bit more targeted to a particular student audience? Or does that sort of like inherently go against the culture of higher ed and therefore will never happen?
1: I think, um, I think that what we're going to see is the offer start to be more differentiated and, and at least specific to certain groups of audiences so that, that we really can be clear in what the experience for somebody who's completing their degree after they never finished is going to be like, and how that might be different from for, from a traditional undergraduate student. Mm. or somebody who may be looking for, you know a quick hitter certificate program might be different than a traditional graduate program. and And then differences between different types of institutions and to be able to the ability to be able to fulfill around those needs. Um, But I do think that there, you know, one of the challenges within higher ed is that, that we, there, there's so much around brand strategy for these institution, institutions that is around culture. Yeah. It's around culture and feel and personality. And you hear that and you hear that reflected from students who have traditionally just sort of said like man, when I came to this campus, it just felt right. And, um, you know, I think that what we have to do as professionals from a marketing side and from an enrollment side is put some meat on those bones and define what that, that sort of magic is. And if we only rely on the magic is... Is magic because of our small class sizes and the beauty of the campus and you know the diversity of the people that we have, we're not taking it far enough to be intentional about setting what that what that looks like. So we have to finish the rest of that sentence for people. Um, you know, that hey, there's a magic that happens here because of A, B, and C that you will not get at X, Y, and Z. And that that I think will help.
0: Do you think like? when i think about higher eds sort of higher ed as a as an industry sort of competitors and i think about like the you know the lambda schools of the world or the general assemblies of the world um, and i think about i think that like they take a very product first and product front sort of like approach to to their offer right like hey come learn this very specific thing in 6 months in 9 weeks whatever it might be and we're going to help you get a job afterwards right um, do you think we'll see sort of a shift when it come when school in in sort of like brand positioning that is a little bit more focused on the quote unquote like product like will we see more of a major and sort of program emphasis sort of upfront, or do you think for most institutions, they're still going to like really double down on selling like the undergrad experience as opposed to talking specifically about a major or minor or a sub experience that you might, might um, get if you pursue sort of like an integrative studies route, like any, any thoughts on, on how higher ed will position itself in order to sort of like, you know, stay relevant and stay competitive against some of these other uh, potential disruptors.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, to be, to be honest, the, You know, the industry has faced a question of its value proposition for more than a decade now. Yeah, and you know that hasn't that hasn't lessened at all. You know, we tend to think about that being being more intense when tuition is going up in places, mm. but the reality is that that's like a sustained issue now for, for more than a decade. I remember working at that on that as a primary issue when when I was at the University of California and was in house. Um, you know, we were in the early early stages of that and it's only going to get more intense with additional options that are in the marketplace where people have choice. Yeah. So I think that schools are going to have to be flexible in talking about the experience in, in really being clear about what the value proposition is and in connecting that to really um, tangible benefits. Um, and I, I think you know, a lot of our clients are acutely aware of that and they, they feel like, and you know, to go back to the early part of our, our conversations act, like, I think one of the things that's really, really exciting about the industry is that, you know, presidents and chancellors and boards are no longer sort of beginning these branding conversations from a, everything at school A is great. Yeah. If we only told our story better. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's now coming back to what is it that we are offering and how do we connect that in a compelling way to the people that we are really trying to reach in the biggest way? And that is that's the goals are getting articulated. you know the 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 brand and the marketing goals that are getting articulated in a much, much more focused way than ever before. And the places that I feel like we do our best work is where that's really expressed from the very beginning. And so, you know, those can be in really pointed in different ways. I mean, you know, in some, for some schools, it's reputational. Yeah. It's, we, we really want to build our national reputation and um, because we know that good things will come along with that. Right. For others, it's really targeted around specific things. Like we are not going to fix our financial situation unless we fix this net tuition revenue problem that we have. And and if we can get clear articulation of those goals, you can develop brand and marketing strategy to kind of meet them. The hardest place is when we just want to tell our story better. I kind of want to run from those situations. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's incredibly wise and insightful. And, and, you know, likewise, I'm seeing positive momentum uh, in that in moving, moving towards uh, this sort of new and and really sort of essential way of, of thinking about these things and, and wrestling with the future of you know, what is your unique value proposition and do you do you really have a unique value proposition? And I think one of the most interesting exercises that I've seen some schools do is bring their Marcom teams, bring their admissions teams into sort of into the the same room and ask, you know, people to take out a piece of paper and write down, you know, what is what makes us different? Um, like what is it that's unique about our school? And, you know, maybe list one, two, three things and then see how those how those compare. And in the few exercises that uh, I've been a part of where we've where we've done things like this, it is so varied, right? Like and and there's something that's maybe beautiful about it being varied. oh, there's like a lot of the different things that we that we do really well. But in in sort of like the lane of unique value proposition in sort of the lane of like differentiation, there should only be so many things that you can really say make your institution unique. Um and right. so I, I I love the direction that that you're talking in and, and believe that this is this is super essential. Uh, my last question for you is sort of in in the spirit of you know team or organizational structure, but also just sort of trends happening outside of higher ed where you're seeing like sales and marketing and even like. PR wings of, of corporations sort of coming together, uh, there's this consolidation happening and you're seeing sort of like growth teams emerge. And again, depending on the industry and depending on the context, this looks a little bit different, but you're essentially seeing like sales and marketing, um, collaborate more closely than ever, ever before. And even folks on sort of like the brand and and PR front are also being roped into, into the mix. And there's this like feedback loop that like many successful organizations um, have been able to to implement so that there's, you know, n- you know, fewer things lost in translation, fewer silos. How do you think higher ed should go about doing this? Like when you think about structure and team structure, like obviously admissions and marketing and communication teams at every institution are not going to be housed in one unit. They serve different roles. Same is true for, for folks um uh, you know in the in the um in the advancement teams but like i guess could you map out for us sort of a, an ideal state of how these different functions work together um n- you know all within sort of the 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 context of trying to effectively communicate promote and and build the equity of an institution's brand
1: yeah i think um i think we we are seeing a lot of shift there and i think that was propelled during the last 18 months you know of 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 covid I, I think we're seeing different parts of the institution working closer together than they ever have like you said in in your previous comment you know marketing and enrollment coming to the table together and i think that that's going to continue to um to to be the case one of the big challenges about kind of proving roi around marketing for institutions has been able, to, has, has been like, what are we actually counting? Are we counting yeah. going to college fairs as a marketing investment? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, the, the cool thing about what's happened during COVID is it, it feels like, and we've been counseling our, our clients around this and, and boards around this. I mean, at, at this point with what we've learned in the last 18 months, everything ought to be on the table in terms of reconsidering it as a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Do we have to go to college fairs anymore? Yeah. Right. Let's not yeah. make a rush towards that 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 decision. And I think that there is going to be greater consolidation of areas that are considered marketing functions. Um, it it was really interesting to me too. We have a client that we worked with on an organizational assessment, and they did this work in house. But one of the things that they found was all of these marketing communi- communications professionals. Spread throughout this institution. This wasn't a, a super big school either. It wasn't like a, you know, a huge flagship institution. This was a mid-sized private institution. Yeah. And they still had, you know, at least a good 30 to 40 marketing communications professionals that were spread throughout the central, uh, throughout the organization, not just in the central unit. And the 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 retention of those professionals in the distributed areas was much, much lower than in the central unit. Huh. they just were churning through people because those people were islands right in and yeah. of themselves and didn't have any support or anything like that and i think that i think that we're going to start to see more integration regardless of organizational structure more or more integration around kind of strategic planning and experience and i think that as i've said a few times during the discussion presidents and boards are getting it i know that you know we're being asked more and more to to do those kinds of presentations to report out regularly on brand progress and um and then i think this this blending of like what's the in person experience versus the digital one and thinking about that as as you know sort of a uh, um, a holistic uh, view in the same way that we're going to have to think about what degrees are we offering and what's the modalities in which we're offering those yeah. as a differentiator around our, our programs, um, you know, and, an increased focus on revenue. Like all of those things are pointing to regardless of where the people sit, it being managed as a strategic function. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, you're spot on. And I, this is a, I think this is a very exciting time to be in higher ed too. Um, You know, I think that it's always when when you are able to sort of consolidate uh, resources and bring people together and, you know, help people understand sort of how their unique functions relate to the functions of the institution as a whole, good things happen. um, And that's been proven time and time again. And so I do feel like we're sort of on the cusp of a, a new a new wave of sort of innovation and, uh, efficiency and effectiveness in, in higher ed. And I do think that like branding in particular, right. Like is, is going to sit sort of at the middle of all of that and be this sort of like unifying force, um, as things just get way more competitive, not just because of, you know, the age of the internet, the advent of the internet, which we've you know, we're well into, but especially coming out, out of this pandemic where folks are gonna have more options than ever before, it's gonna be more competitive than ever before. And now is really, really the time to break down silos, to consolidate resources and you know, figure out how goals can be centralized as much as possible. And then how those centralized goals break down at each entity's level. So mm-hmm. this is exciting. Um, Jason, thank you so much for joining us today and and coming on the show if folks want to learn more about you and the work that Simpson Scarborough does what's the best way for them
1: to reach you well i mean clearly our website at simpsonscarborough.com if they're interested in the in the uh in the agency um and they can find me also on twitter or on linkedin um and i'm happy i love these kinds of conversations i get smarter every time we have an opportunity to to talk about the industry or to hear something that's going on at a school. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to, to meet a lot of people that have, have really been, um, helpful for me just in, in general and like, you know, creating a path forward. And, and I always look to pass that on. And, and, uh, so welcome people reaching out directly.
0: Great. And we'll make sure that, uh, you, you all have links, Uh, if you just scroll down wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find Jason's Twitter, LinkedIn and Simpson Scarborough's website. We'll make it really easy for you all. Thanks Jason for coming on and thanks everyone for tuning in.
1: Awesome. Thanks Zach.
0: If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, Or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.